Amen. He's, he's doing something really beautiful this morning. Um, and I'm trying to just lean into that space together. Is that okay? Wow. What I've been feeling in my heart, we've been in a series on Antioch, but I changed it up a little bit today. Do you like what I made? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Thanks. Sometimes we have a team that does this, and then I, I do it and send them through. Most of the time they don't use my designs because they're not as good, but this one made it. Well, they didn't have a choice. They didn't know about it. I just chucked it up. Um, I'm learning how to like delegate and not want to do everything myself. It's a really tough journey. But uh, it's beautiful. We have such an awesome team. Um, you guys don't know this, but you know the team that's that's working in the week. They're they're giving up a day's work to serve us. Um, they actually come here for a full day on a Thursday. They all have to make a living, by the way. We don't pay them a cent. Um, and also, what's beautiful is we didn't uh, like ask for it. It just happened. <laughs> There's just people who actually love Jesus that much <laughs> that they'll give up a day's work to come serve the local church to serve you. It really moves me. Um, and, uh, and if you go, well, they don't have kids. Well, some of them do. Some of them actually have whole families and have to provide for their families, and they're still doing that. So you can tell why we need doors. It's coming. <laughs> don't worry. If you have any problems, go speak to Grant. Grant Spence, he's the guy. Teasing. And just give him all the money that we need. But uh, we'll get doors up soon. Um, can you hear me okay, though? Everybody can hear me. Cool. Um, I am excited because I feel this fiery thing in my heart that I'm just trying to get words for at the moment with Holy Spirit. Um, because I woke up this morning and I just felt the Lord say, get a vision for what I'm doing. Get a vision for my heart. Get a vision for my dream. Get a vision for my plan. Um, and I believe He wants that for every single one of you. I think what we're seeing right now, you've heard me say this a million times, you'll see it across uh, the world, but specifically in Johannesburg, um, the things that used to maybe satisfy us or excite us or fulfill us in the workplace or in different parts of life are not doing it anymore. It just doesn't feel the same. And it's because things are shifting. And they never did fulfill you or satisfy you, but it was just a lot easier to pursue those things. And now they're just a giant letdown. It's like it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how successful you feel you are or maybe how, you, how unsuccessful you are. It just doesn't touch our hearts the same way. And it's because you weren't actually made for those things. Are you with me? I know this is going to be a serious test of your concentration with all the noises in the background, but I promise I will fully commit to you if you fully commit to me this morning, okay? Um, but it just doesn't satisfy us because you were made for His presence, you were made for Him, and you were made for family. And so, you know, we were put in this farmhouse for a season where we were in this little room, in each other's space, really, you know, locked up and crammed up together. And, uh, and we learned how to cultivate environments together of just loving Jesus, ministering to Him, and journeying together as a family. And now we've come into a season where God's saying, hey, you, you were never made to be a farmhouse church. Like, that's not what 24-7 was about, the farmhouse church, the little room church. No, we want to see whole cities and nations come to know Jesus. So now what we're doing is taking the values and the way He's trained us in His presence, trained us in family, and saying, okay, in a season of expansion, it's our job, it's our role as the church to see disciples made, to see cities reached by discipling families, to make sure that the lonely has a family. The one who's in, the individual who has no one now has a whole family of people that he can come and be a part of or she can come and be a part of. To make sure that sons and daughters are raised in greenhouse environments called the local church where they're shaped and commissioned and trained and sent into the destiny of heaven for their life. 
And can I just say this? Um, let, me, let me first say it like this. You know my heart. I am so, I love you. I love this house. I love Jesus. I love the word. So I say things quite straight sometimes, and it's to cut to our hearts because I really believe that he's transforming us with truth. Amen? The way Jesus speaks to me is straight to my heart. Uh, you know, I, I like to listen to things that, that bring conviction and truth because it brings change quicker. So if I say something direct, it's never personal to anybody in this room. It's always coming from my own place of conviction for us to step into together. Amen? Not all of your desires are God's desires. What I mean is, sometimes, and I'm talking specifically in the context of work and uh, money and assignments and callings and giftings and these things, okay? Because it's, it's, it's so busy in the church right now with that mentality that it's important for us to bring truth. Not every desire for success, promotion, gifting, influence, not every desire that we have for those things is of the Lord. We just have to settle that. Because we, we, we think that, well, because you have a desire, it must be God and He wants to fulfill that desire. It's not true. Your ability to desire is your ability to worship. Are you with me? You were given the ability to desire so that you could desire Him. <laughs> because Mary didn't, when, when, uh, when Jesus speaks to Mary, He didn't say, oh, you found the most important thing. No, He said one thing is necessary, one thing. He didn't prioritize the list and say, hey, you found the most important thing, you found the number one thing on the list, and then you can get to the others. He didn't say that. He said one thing is necessary, and Mary found the good portion. Hello? That's got to convict you. It convicts me. It's like, whoa, he didn't give me the priority list and go, here's how I want you to live your life. He said, I want you to give yourself to one thing. And if we understand that, it's because you were designed for one thing. The desire in your heart, many of the desires you think you have are coming from, a, from the root of one desire, and it's him. The overflow of Jesus in our lives will bring many different expressions and fruit, and that's beautiful, but He's the one thing for us. So, just because you have a desire to see an expression in your life or desire to do something, or it's beautiful and God's given us the ability to dream, but just make sure it's completely yielded and submitted to Him so that the Lordship of Jesus can operate in those things. I'm saying that because I, I journey with so many people in the community, and can I just say the number one distraction right now is work. Number one, number one struggle, number one distraction, number one stress thing. Like it's just it's bringing all these different factors into people's lives. And I'd say maybe the second one is, is relational. But I just look at it and I go, isn't it interesting that God is about to mobilize a movement from the local church to fulfill the Great Commission, to resource the Great Commission. So the biggest distraction will be to take you away from thinking about those things and get you preoccupied with the things of this world, the systems of Babylon that are going to fall. Now, it doesn't mean that we aren't called to operate in those spheres and, and, and places. It just means we have to have the Lordship of Jesus operating in our lives so that we're always given to the one thing, that we are not scattered and looking at different things. I, I, I'm gonna, I was going to be naughty and preach on finances today. Because I have a, a real a, a message in my heart about supernatural finances. And then my sister said, it's kind of a bit hectic. You know, you get everyone into your building first Sunday and then you preach on finances. It's pretty wild. But so, so thank my sister that you're not getting that one today. Um, <laughs> but it's coming. 
but let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because there is an onslaught against a true understanding of, of how to steward the blessing of heaven over our lives. You are, we are not trying to find blessing. We are blessed, right? But blessing does not equal material possessions. It, it can, it can, the expression of that can be seen in our lives, but that is not what we are talking about. There is nothing in the Scriptures, and, I'll, and when I teach on it, I'll talk out of Deuteronomy, the one where they take, God gives you the power to make wealth. Go read it in context, please, because he's talking about a covenant for a whole group of people to know who he is. He's not talking about God confirming his covenant with your heart to make sure that you're wealthy. There is nothing in Scripture that actually builds a theology around you are called to build wealth. It's not there. In fact, there are warnings to the rich. Maybe I should preach on finances. <laughs> Can I tell you why? Because you're called to be a steward. And God is going to entrust the church with millions and millions. It's coming. The reality is God has given us the ability to create or to make wealth. Wealth does not just mean money. Wealth means no lack. So if somebody is sick and I have the answer, and I pray for them and release fullness, and they get healed, it's a demonstration of wealth. Our problem is we've now created a whole theology and a whole movement within the church that's all about how every Christian should have five streams of income, and every Christian should be wealthy, and talking about money. And if you don't have money, if you don't have uh, material possessions, if you don't have assets, then you're not living in the fullness of God. It's a lie from the pit of hell and it's crippling the church. Because the reality is what you're seeing is a group of people that think generosity means I give towards a cause called the kingdom. But actually what generosity is, is my whole life is his. It was never, it was never just about 10%. It was never about the offering that I give. The whole thing belongs to him. Are you with me? And that's not an excuse not to tithe. Because tithing has nothing to do, tithe means 10%, by the way. When you give 50 bucks to the guy on the road, you're not tithing to him. Amen? Amen. We just got to make that clear. Because sometimes people are like, I just felt to give my tithes to the guy down the road. I'm like, 20 bucks to the car guard is not tithing. Like, that's beautiful. You're blessing the guy. Do that. More of that. Maybe give him 100 bucks next time. But the reality is, tithing means 10%. It's tied to the local church. It, scripturally, it's covenantal, and it's, it's not law. It's not, you don't give under compulsion. Nobody's pressurizing you, saying if you don't give 10%, you're not blessed. You are blessed whether you tithe or not. I will always preach that strong in this house. You never give under compulsion. Amen? So why do you tithe? It's to do with your heart. It's an act of lordship. Abraham tithes, and it has nothing to do with law. Abraham gave 10% because he was like, I'm blessed. I want, I want to show that actually my whole life is given to him. Everybody goes, well, Abraham was this wealthy man, and they use it in the context of preaching on wealth and riches. And I'm like, yeah, Abraham was a wealthy man who was asked to kill his son. And, and he took the promise and was ready to put a knife through the promise, and that's what enabled him to be a good steward. He allowed God to become everything to him. He was ready to, to kill his own promise, put his own promise to death so that he could be a faithful steward. If you are in pursuit of, of finances, if you are in pursuit of riches, you are in the wrong pursuit. Because what, we've, what this has built, I'm hitting this. I'm, I didn't mean to preach on this. I was going to move on, but I, we're here. <laughs> Sorry, courts. <laughs> 
with this understanding, this, this unhealthy preaching, teaching thing that's gone on with wealth in the church. It's, it's an unhealthy, because I believe in prosperity, but there's an unhealthy prosperity message that's been taught. And let me tell you why it's unhealthy, because what it's left us with is, well, there's a group of people who are called to make money, and it's their job to resource the Great Commission. I can't give because I only earn this amount of money per month. I can't be a part of that. I must be the one who has to go because I don't seem to have a desire to actually be a business guy and make money. This is what's crept in. And then you've got these people in pursuit of wealth or in pursuit of riches who then think they're part of this elite society of people whose job is to, to reach the, the billionaires and the millionaires who are the really wealthy ones who are called to give to those who are called to do the Great Commission. It's the biggest ploy of the enemy to cripple the church because already right there, we've just taken a whole section of the church and disqualified them from the Great Commission. It's why I'm so excited about a part-time mission school because I want, I want everybody. I want the business men and women. I want the stay-at-home moms. I want the missionaries. I want the, the teachers, the sports people. The, I want them all coming to a place going, I am a part of the Great Commission. I'm a part of making disciples of all nations from Johannesburg to Gauteng to South Africa to the ends of the earth. As a community, we've said yes to the dream of God. It's not my dream. It's His dream. And it's the only thing that will fulfill me. Very simply, can I put it like this? Your tithe is based on lordship. It has to do with your heart. Your offering is based on the Great Commission. Very simple. 10%, you're lord of my life. Because 10% is enough to bite you. If you feel it a little bit. It's like... And, and we've got this weird understanding that's been taught around making and building wealth. Well, you give 10% and then you, so you, God gets uh, the 10% and you get the 90. Give God the 10 and then it's your job to decide what you want to do with the 90. It's garbage. He's Lord of your life. And that's why I said one day, I promise you, one day you see it. You'll see a multimillionaire who one day is making millions and the next day gives it all away because God told him to. And he's just rock solid and steadfast in what God's called him to do. And the reason why we're seeing Christians where if, if you don't get that salary or finances don't come through or you don't get the promotion or you don't, you're not doing better or it's financially tough, then suddenly it's like, is God even real? Where is he? What, I thought he provided for me. I thought he cared about me. This is what that message is producing in people. It's producing a pressure to be financially successful as a sign of your Christianity. And it's a lie. Because I would love to see people teach on prosperity that way in the same context of suffering. It's also in your Bible. <laughs> I've, still got, I've still got it open to the other thing I was going to teach on. Let's merge them. Why is God highlighting this? I believe he's highlighting it because in Johannesburg, God's called the church in Joburg to be a part of resourcing the Great Commission. The city of gold. I believe that, that there is an assignment on those who God anoints and puts in, in places to maybe steward uh, there's a different grace for different expressions. There's a different grace. So in other words, maybe uh, somebody is called to make a lot of money. They get placed in, a, in, a, in a, an assignment where a lot of money will be flowing through their hands. But there's another guy who might be called to live in the sticks of Botswana, living just like everyone else around them, serving Jesus, loving people. And it's the same 
Great Commission. It's the same journey, and there's different graces and different assignments, and the reality is they might chop and change. You might not be called to be the multimillionaire your whole life. You might not be called to live in the sticks your whole life. The key is obedience to Him because He's Lord of your life and being ready to steward what He places in your hands. So from our city in Johannesburg, we have an opportunity. People come to Joburg for work and money. That's why they come here. So if we can make a stand in truth, stand as a church in the gospel, and understand that God's given us the ability to make wealth, yes, not build an empire, but to steward finances, to steward the call of God as a house, to see our city reach for the gospel, and to see the nations reached. Barnabas, we've been in Antioch. Barnabas, I love him because his journey started out by being the guy who gave. And a couple years later, he ends up being the guy who goes. Because it's never been about, am I a giver or a goer? It's about, I am being obedient to the Great Commission. What are you asking of me now? Let me ask you this question. If you're living to build your own empire, if you're living for your own dreams, if you're living for your own desires right now, are you happy? How's the state of your heart? How's your emotional health? How's your relationships? How's your household? What do your days look like? Are you happy every day? Are you, are you, do you feel fulfilled and satisfied? Or do you feel like you're, you're kind of happy because, well, at least my job's doing all right. I'm getting my salary. You know, hey, money's looking good. Things are looking up in that sense. You weren't born for that. You were born to burn with the fire of the gospel. You were born to be given to a dream that is so much bigger than you that it, all it takes is, is your yielded yes, your little surrendered yes to Jesus because he's about to do something so big that you want to be a part of. I had no desire to lead a local church in Johannesburg. <laughs> For real. I was really excited about moving to the deepest, darkest places. In fact, years ago, I was a little more intense, and I was thinking about places like Afghanistan. And then you get married, and you realize that's not a good idea if you want to have family and all that. <laughs> but we'll still go. But my point is this. I didn't have a desire or a dream to lead a local church in Joburg. But the Lord has a dream for Joburg. The Lord has a dream for your life and your community and, and your sphere of influence. And when we say yes to His dream, we find our place in the story of God. And suddenly there is something inside of you that far supersedes happiness on the earth. It's a joy that only comes from Him. It is fulfillment and satisfaction that's only found in His presence. It's only found in walking in Him. It's only found in being obedient to Him. And in the beginning, saying yes to Jesus costs you everything because you feel it. But suddenly, you feel the loss of those things and then you give yourself to Jesus and the next thing, it doesn't feel like a cost anymore because you've found the worthiness of Jesus. He's actually worth it. He's actually beautiful. It's not just a song. It's actually real. I believe in this moment, God is giving the church courage to dream His dreams. And maybe you're feeling like a sword going through yours right now, and that's a good thing. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> this is not, um, this is <laughs> the reason why I'm like, okay, Lord, I just trust you. 
It's not the kind of thing you want to get up and say when you're trying to raise more funds to handle a building like this. Because people can get offended when you touch money. The reality is Jesus is building his church. You happen to be that. Do you get it? So, so he says this thing. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so what we do is we hear it like, well, if you want all the things that are added, seek first him. <laughs> and so actually, without even realizing it, you made him second on the list, even though you're using that scripture. If I want to get all the added things, I need to seek first him and his righteousness. So, so that's the means to the end. Rather than seek first the kingdom and his righteousness being, that's the only thing. His kingdom and his righteousness is all I need. And in other words, the, the added stuff, the things that he knows I need, it's his job to take care of that. It's not my job. In fact, I want to speak to the fathers. There's an unhealthy, ungodly, unbiblical pressure that's been put on dads to have all the answers, to figure it out, to make sure that you just always have it right. You always provide, you get it perfect. It's never wrong. It is so nonsense. Because what happens is you get dads who get so caught up in trying to make money that they forget to be dads. That they stop being husbands. And God's just setting us free from those things and saying, no, your job is to follow me for your family. Your role as a father is to follow the father. Because he's the perfect father. His leadership is perfect. He's the one who gives strategy. He's the one who gives wisdom. He is the provider. You are not the provider of your family. You're the one who's called to hear his voice and steward what he gives you. It sets you free. It liberates you because then you can actually be obedient to him rather than having a preconceived idea of what obedience looks like. I don't know why I'm looking at this because it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. What if walking in the blessing looks like walking in the will of the Lord? What if we had more conferences about obedience than we did about how to walk in the gifts or how to make money or how to be this example of picture of something? No, what if, it, what if we had more conferences and gatherings and sessions talking about how to follow Jesus? Because every, in every time that Jesus speaks about following him, he calls them to leave everything. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Leave the fishing nets. Leave the, like I don't see, this is why it scares me when we've seen teaching like this. And I'm talking from my heart. I hope you're catching the spirit that I'm trying to say this in. It's very scary for me when we create whole theologies about how Jesus wants to transform industries, wants to transform uh, the, the structures and systems of society. Where? Show me. No, Jesus wants to transform hearts. Do you get this? Because if Jesus wanted to transform industries, he would have said to Peter, cast your nets on the other side, catch all those fish, and go, right, now I've given you the principle of how to revolutionize the fishing industry to bring my kingdom. So all the Christians are going to have the secret sauce for how to actually do this differently to bring blessing and abundance to the fishing industry, which is going to change the industry forever. And that's what it means to bring heaven to earth. No. That's not what he said. In fact, he actually said, throw your nets on the other side, crazy catch of fish. And then he said, okay, follow me. And they dropped everything and followed him. That's wild. Jesus is this walking contradiction of one who lacks nothing, yet he doesn't have a home. 
He's so secure in his father that he can literally walk in the knowledge of, I am the son of the living God. I have everything that I need. I don't have money to pay my taxes, but you know what? Go catch that fish, open his mouth, and there'll be something in there to take care of what we need to do. Jesus, the one who knows he can get taxes out of a fish's mouth, is also the one who decides to be dependent on a group of women who are following his ministry and financially contributing. Why does he need that group of women to sow into his ministry when he can get money out of a fish's mouth? He's this walking contradiction. What happens if it's actually not about the money? What if it was never about those things? What if it was actually just about being in obedience to him to see hearts transformed? Because what if Jesus knew that allowing those women to sow into his ministry was them participating and engaging in this and something was happening in their hearts as they were learning to follow Jesus? Why does he say to the rich young ruler, uh, you know, he comes and says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, well, he gives the commandments, like are these things in your heart. And he goes, I've followed those things perfectly. And then Jesus goes, you, you lack one thing, give everything away. And, and the guy walks away sad. That's the key. And then it's funny because Peter asked Jesus and he goes, but Lord, we gave up everything. We actually did that. And then Jesus says, I love it. Awesome. Thank you. And, and you, there's nothing that you'll lack in this life. You're going to get way more. And now let me ask you, what did Peter's life look like? <laughs> are, you, are you getting what I'm saying? The emphasis is just so not that material earthly realm. It's the realm of his kingdom. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, like, yeah, you gave up everything for me. You gave up the secret sauce to the fishing industry. You gave up revolutionizing the fishing industry to follow me. That one tickled Bill. I got you, bro. <laughs> and yet he goes, and, and actually, Peter, in this life, you'll get way more than you think. And here's Peter, the guy who him and his wife get killed, crucified, and Peter goes, turn me upside down. Peter's the guy who goes to Antioch and he makes a mistake by, again, being religious and legalistic and actually a racist. And he separates himself from the, the Gentiles because the pressure came from the Jews that came from Jerusalem. And Paul calls him out publicly and goes like, hey, that's not the gospel, buddy. And Peter's response is, I'm going to move my family to the capital of the Gentiles. His repentance was like, that's it. Yeah, you're right. I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the gospel right to Rome. There's something that happens to a group of people when they encounter real Jesus, the living God. Not the message of Jesus, not just the, the exciting prospect of prosperity because you follow him. Not that he's the answer to all my struggles. Not, no, the man Jesus, when I've seen his eyes and he's burning and I become burning because I see his fire. That Jesus is something that happens to that group of people. They'll do anything for him. And God is looking for a church. He's looking for His church, His people, a people for His own possession. He wants to fill us with burning fire that is not our zeal. You know, with the prayer rooms, we, we quote, I think it's Leviticus 6.13. There's fire on the altar and it'll not be allowed to go out. Let me just tell you something, it's not your fire. Because we think that it's our job to put our fire on the altar and keep our fire burning. That's not what, it's, what this is about. This is about His fire, the all-consuming fire of God that's on the altar, and He will not burn out. You want to stay in that fire. You want to keep your life on the altar where His fire is burning. In everything that you do every day. So that you'll never feel loss when you lose something of material possession or something of the natural realm. You will always feel complete, whole, and satisfied in Him. Are you with me? 
It takes the pressure off you to go like, you are not measured by your success in business. You are not measured by what, your success in what you do every day to make money. You are not defined by your salary. Are you with me? I remember I used to pray these prayers like, Lord, you know my heart. I am burning for the nations. If you will give me lots of money, you know what I'm going to do. And he's never answered that prayer. Yet I've been overseas multiple times and spent hundreds of thousands of rands to do that. But I've never felt like I've had a lot of money. (laughs) But then I look back and I go like, wow, actually it cost me that to do that over the last five years. Are you seeing? The thing about stewardship is that it's not in your control. You don't own it. It's not tied to your name. It's tied to his. You know what we want when we teach this messed up prosperity thing? We want it to be tied to our name so that we look good when we give it. And then Jesus points out the widow with the, what is it? Two, two mites. And he goes, she gave more than everybody. She gave two mites. I don't even know what that is. It's not a lot. But, but think about this. He points it out and he watched everybody. Jesus sat there. Imagine Jesus sitting in the room and the offering's going around and he's watching everybody give this offering. That's intense. So he's sitting there watching and then he looks at this widow, this little widow who gives two mites. And he goes, she, gives, she gave more than everybody. What is Jesus measuring this thing by? Heart. Jesus saw her give everything, all she had, and he went, that, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the person to find the way to make the millions to get it done. I'm looking for the one who will give their two mites because they're in love with me. I find it funny, and I don't know if I'm not in the making money industry. Let's call it that. But I find it funny when people struggle with this because I find it quite liberating. I don't know if you do. It's quite liberating to, you know, to know, like, it's not my job to go and find ways to be this successful person. It's not my job. He doesn't expect that of me. He doesn't require that of me. He's just looking for my yes today. And if I, if I say yes to him, if I trust him, if he's Lord of my life, he's got it. Even when it looks like the whole thing's falling apart. It's only looking like it's falling apart with the way that I think this is going to go. I have to allow him to reshape my perspective, to change the way I see it, so that he can actually lead me into truth, freedom, and fullness. Amen? (laughs) You good? You got to see your faces. Some of you are smiling at me, some of you are looking down, some of you are like looking around. It's okay. See, if we get a vision for his dream, for his plan, something shifts inside of us where you'll begin to say yes to things that you didn't think you would say yes to. I did not grow up imagining and getting excited. Honestly, I did not get excited about the deepest, darkest places. I wasn't like growing up going, man, I'm just longing to go to like wherever the terrorists are, you know? But think about this for a second. I don't mean to be funny. I'm just being honest. 
Something happened to me when I began to pursue his heart. When I began to say, Lord, what are the things that you desire? What are the things that you care about? I'm not actually after what I desire. I'm after what you desire. When I began to think like that and pray like that and and posture my heart in that place, suddenly I would find myself weeping over people I've never met who speak a language I don't speak in a place that I've never even considered, didn't even know where it was on a map. That's a fruit of my life that I didn't try to get. Do you know what I'm saying? And what's interesting is when you finally go across there and put your feet on the ground and see these people, something shifts on the inside of you and you see it and you realize it. When we were in India in 2016, it happened in my heart where we were in one of the most horrific, dark cities. And I'll never forget the day. There's a little girl, two-year-old girl in the trash looking for breakfast. No parents around, nothing. All she had was a ripped shirt on, covering her naked body. She was about two, maybe three years old looking for food in the trash on the side of the road. And then she walked up to a sewage pipe coming out of the wall that was dripping and tried to get water from it. And I just looked and it hit me on a different, it just, it touched me on a different, a different place that I've never been touched before. And I just went, there are billions on the face of the earth. And I, I refuse to measure my life based on how comfortable I'm living in Johannesburg when I know that across the whole world are people who don't know his name, are people who are living in poverty way beyond anything we know. Why would I pursue riches to feel better about my donation towards something that I've actually never been a part of? Rather than saying, God, let my whole life be given to you. Wherever you place me, open my eyes to see your dream. Open my eyes to see the one in front of me. Because let me tell you, there are lots of people like that two-year-old little girl right in front of us every single day. And I'm not just talking about, hey, your job is now to be more compassionate to the poor. That's not what I'm talking about. It's part of it. I'm talking about your heart being lit up by the gospel. I'm talking about you seeing things differently, noticing things differently, walking into the office and everybody's doing their thing, but you notice that one person that you can see, their heart is not okay. And you take a moment to actually go and release the love of Jesus to them. Something shifts when we catch his heart and his dream. When we get a vision for God, a vision for his dream, our desires change. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not just he will give you the desires of your heart. It's delight yourself in the Lord. Isn't it interesting that if he's your delight, what has he become? Your desire. When you take delight in him, you desire him, and suddenly he goes, I can give you me. Because you might have nothing on the earth, but when you have me, you have everything. Because you can also have everything on the earth and have nothing. You get me? Why am I talking into this? Because we live in Joburg, and you face this thing every day. There's a war for your yes. Do you understand how powerful your little yes to Jesus is? There's a war for it every day. And there's only two masters. It's Jesus and mammon. The devil doesn't fit into that one. If you're wondering where I get that from, it's in Matthew 6. But I had this encounter. I'm nearly done. I had this encounter in the farmhouse about a year ago. And I was just walking in that Ibalo little section, walking up and down. And, uh, and praying and meditating on Revelation 4 and 5. And the next thing, the Holy Spirit hit me and I fell to the ground. And I was lying on the floor and I felt him engrave. That's what it felt like. Like he was writing Revelation 4 and 5 on my life, on my heart. And I was going, Lord, this is a strange thing for you to be imparting to me. Because this is the one with the, the crazy creatures with eyes, right? This is, this is the four living creatures. One looks like an ox. One looks like a lion, an eagle, a man. 
Like this is the one that everyone's like freaked out and confused by. The ones who are constantly crying out holy, who are covered in eyes all over to, to behold him, to see him. And he's writing this on my heart and I'm lying there and I'm weeping. I'm going, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I felt him say to me, he's like, I'm giving you a vision of me. And, it's, and the vision is holy. The vision is in, in um, Revelations 5, they sing this song. This is the song of heaven that's echoing throughout the ages. You know, when he's called the Ancient of Days, the song about the Ancient of Days has always been sung. You get this? Listen to this. Worthy and deserving are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain, and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of royal subjects and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. I'll come back to that. Next song. I love this. Worthy and deserving is the lamb that was sacrificed to receive power and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every created thing that is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea and everything that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen. The song that's echoing through heaven is there's only one and he's the one. My life is, is living in the pursuit and direction of one. He deserves honor. He deserves wealth. He deserves glory. He deserves dominion. What does it mean to reign on the earth? It means to see the one get his reward. We think ruling and reigning on the earth is to be wealthy on the earth. There's only one who deserves it. <laughs> and, and you'll only find satisfaction and fulfillment when your life is given to the one thing that Jesus would see his reward, the price that he paid. Understanding what he gave, understanding that he paid the highest price for a people that he would call his own. It's why we take time to learn languages. It's why, you know, I've been so convicted because we, we take time to learn the languages of unreached people groups, but then I look at my own nation, I go, there's 11 languages that I don't know. And I'm convicted by that. And I believe it's a part of our school that we've got to bring that in and go, actually, we need to learn the languages of overseas, but we need to learn the languages right here so that I can preach the gospel to my people in their mother tongue. Imagine we had as much passion to learn a language to communicate the gospel as we did to make money. Can you imagine the attitude of the person who walks into work tomorrow morning who's there for a purpose far beyond doing my job because you actually know what your job is? There's a level of excellence that flows from your life in what you do that's not tied to whether or not you're paying me rightly for this because I don't live for a salary. I live to glorify Him. It looks different. There's a, there's a joy that comes when you walk into your work environment and you're not afraid to get fired. <laughs> you're not afraid to get... Some of you actually want to get fired. I can see it in your faces. But <laughs> you're like, actually, that's great. That's a good one. I'll tell my boss that tomorrow. Go for it. My point is, there's no fear because you're held by something that is far, far higher than the realm that you're living in. You understand that he's got me. I'm not afraid. I've, I'm here to live the life he's called me to live. And if this is tough, and maybe it is, but it's, it's the truth, it's the gospel. It, it hits us differently. If there's conviction, it's good. If there's offense, it's okay. You need to get over it. 
um, like offenses is just undealt with conviction. That's what it is. When we take offense at something, it's just because conviction is taking time to work in our hearts. Amen? I get offended all the time. And, and I think if we don't offend each other in the church with truth, then what are we doing? Are we on the journey to growth and, and being more like Jesus? Or are we just making sure we stay comfortable with what we're okay with? Nobody's going to grow because no one wants to offend each other. We don't want to say anything from the pulpit because we need you to, to actually give money so we can have this venue. Come on. What's coming for this house is far beyond this venue. This venue is a, a tool for the kingdom of God that he's given us. I'm not tied to this. The only reason why we came here is because it was the Lord. I'm sure our sound guys are going like, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do with the sound. I think it's a lot of work. It's not just fun. It's like, man, we have to steward this well. Are you with me? <laughs> Some of you are like, just let me go to lunch, man. Seriously. <laughs> it's okay. It'll sink in. It's coming. It's, 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 it's working in our hearts. So God put Revelation 4 and 5 in my heart because I believe that what's coming for 24-7 is an expression of a community given to the presence of God, a worshiping house that will behold Him because that's what we'll do forever. We're going to be wrapped up in Him. He's so beautiful that they've been singing holy forever. He, th there must be something about Him that's really incredible. That if we, if we think that that's going to be difficult, we haven't seen Him yet. If, the, if we think it's difficult to live our whole lives, every expression of our lives, unto Him, towards Him, if we think that's tough, it's probably because we haven't seen Him. So maybe we should just pursue Him. Maybe we should just go after the one thing. And when we do that, and He captivates our hearts and grabs a hold of us, something stirs in us where our passion and zeal far supersedes our current life on the earth. We're living for something eternal. We're given to something. It's the dream of God. I get excited on, on the bad days when it's difficult and you feel like, man, it's really rough and life is screaming at me and speaking in. Something stirs in my heart because I go, one day I'm going to stand in the throne room of heaven with my brothers and sisters. Some of them I have preached the gospel to. Do you, do you think like this? One day I'm going to stand in the throne room with people that I had the privilege of preaching the gospel to. And we're going to sing the song of, of the ages together. We're going to encounter Him together. We're going to be caught up together. It does something to my heart. I just go like, it's worth it. On the, on the rough days, it's worth it. It's okay. I'm living for something that's bigger than my life. And it's a great joy to say that I'm a part of that. I used to say this thing a lot. I used to say, you're not, you're not made to sit on the sidelines and watch God write history. You were created and designed to be the pen in His hand that He writes it with. But when you do that, it, it might look very different to what you think. Life takes on a whole new shape when it's Him living through you, not just you trying to use Him to get your life. There's something dynamic about this people, about the people who catch this, who live, there's something about them, they're attractive. There's something in their eyes. There's something in the way they talk. There's something in the way they live. It's like the world can be crashing around them, but they're, they're electrifying. They're like, they're, they're full of light. They're full of life. You can't crush them. You can't knock them. You can't shake them. They're so rock solid in truth. They're so rock solid in knowing why they are there. They have purpose that far transcends this realm, this life. Everybody else is becoming depressed and anxious and stressed and tired. And we're just rising above it every day. We, as we face the same challenges, we face the same stresses, the things that come. But we seem to have something that enables us to live above it. 
It's called Jesus. It's called Him. He's, it's His presence. It's the gospel. It's the message of, of, of the finished work of the cross. It's something that anchors me. And maybe you're like, yeah, but dude, you don't understand. I walk into environments where I don't have time to even think about those things. Well, first question, should you be in that environment? Second question, if God has placed you in that environment, make sure you know if He's placed you in that environment, well, then I'm pretty sure He's okay with you making sure you have time to pause and fix your gaze on Him. And the funny thing is, when you do it, watch the fruits of your life. You'll probably be far more effective. The stories that I could tell you of, of people who own businesses who decided to prioritize the presence of the Lord in their business at the cost of maybe time where you should be making more money, all that kind of stuff, the fruit of their businesses is wild because they weren't after money, they were after him. There's a, a, I've told this story a couple of times, a woman in China who was desperate, she was begging God to call her to full-time ministry. She was like, make me a pastor of a church. <laughs> She's praying this prayer, crying out, and God kept saying, no, but I've got this assignment for you with this specific business. And anyway, she, her business had like, I think it was over a thousand people under her. And God said, here's your congregation. And he said, if you'll make me the CEO of your business, and if you'll just obey me and do what, I'll give you strategy, just do what I've called you to do, watch what I'll do with your business. And he told her to build a throne at the center of the factory, <laughs> and that they must have worship music going, and at any, make a rule across the company that at any time of day, people can go to that place and worship. Anytime. That makes no sense in terms of making money. Yet her business began to explode and thrive because people were encountering God and suddenly people were convicted about their work ethic. They were carrying this conviction because they were like, wow, we encountered God, we experienced God. And so now there's this conviction as a disciple, like, well, I want to do my job well to honor this. We're being treated well, we're being loved well. Can you see how suddenly the kingdom of heaven is coming alive? And it's being led by a woman who doesn't even want to do that. She wants to be doing something else, but she's just following Jesus, being obedient. He's the CEO of the company. You get it? If you'll make Jesus Lord of your life every day, not just that one time you prayed that prayer. If, if He's the Lord of your life every single day, your life becomes an adventure because you have no idea what's around the corner, but you know He's got it. And your confidence and security is in Him. You're able to walk into those stressful places. You're able to live that life. You're able to, to steward the things that God's put in your life and in your hands because you're living for something greater than Him. There's 3.2 billion people, probably a little more at the moment, but 3.2 something billion people on the earth who are not just people who have rejected Jesus. They haven't had an opportunity to know Him through another human being's mouth. Many of them have had dreams and visions and they're just waiting for someone to explain them to, to them. But if you think about this, we have a mandate and a, and a mission on the earth to see the earth covered in the glory of the Lord, to see worship. This is honestly the passion of my life because it's His. To see worship rise from every tribe, tongue, and language. That Jesus would be loved in every single tribe, tongue, and language. I don't know if you picture this. That sound that comes from the earth, that people would hear the, the good news of the gospel, the, the, the message that saved your life, that they would hear it too in their mother tongue, the one that they heard their mom call their name in. And we're, we're, this is where we're going. We are, we're on track as a church to see 
our city touched with the, the message of the gospel, the power and love of Jesus. And I believe it. I want to see Johannesburg rocked. Like God has given me a whole new zeal and, and passion for this city because there's no nice views except for maybe that hazy one. Um, there's, you know, people don't come here for the views and for the lifestyle and for the beaches. and We don't have any of that. In fact, people go on holiday for that and then they drive into Joburg and feel this thing grab them again. And mammon has found its, found its place over this city. And it's the church's job to exalt Jesus because when we exalt Jesus, he'll tear down mammon. What you give your life to is really important. What you say yes to is really important. Get a vision for God's dream. Get a vision for his plan, his purposes. And give yourself to that and watch what he'll do. You are not called to tell other people's stories. It's a beautiful thing, but majority of Christians tell other people's testimonies to, to get excited about the gospel. But you're called to allow the Holy Spirit to write His story through your life, that you have stories to tell of how God's used you. All it takes is a yielded yes. You with me? Everyone okay? Well, that went well. I really love this house. And the, the, the reason I love this house is because I'm looking at a group of people who really love Jesus and who are allowing the, the gospel and the message of truth to convict our hearts to say yes to something bigger than us. You've been around, if, if it's your first time, welcome and we love you, uh, but most of you have been around long enough to know that this is what we are about as a house. We are moving into the conviction of the gospel so that the grace of God can transform us to look like Jesus on the earth. He is so beautiful, so worthy that he will get his reward and I want to be a part of making sure that happens because he's become our reward. He is the treasure in the field. We're his treasure in the field and he's ours. It's why we do what we do. It's why we can be obedient every day. So I dare you, I double dare you to risk. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to his dream. Wake up tomorrow morning not thinking, ah, oh, another week of having to get through what I do. Oh, just this, it's just a season. Let me stop. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, okay, Lord, anything you want to do today, I'm in. What does it look like? I'm ready. I'm ready for the adventure with him. And maybe you're like, well, my life is not that exciting. It's a bit boring or whatever. No, it's, it's, not. it's not. It's not boring. It's really not. You just can't see yet. Let him open your eyes. Let him give you vision. Let him put fresh fire in your eyes for what he's going to do. My heart is, is not just to see this room filled, although I'd love to see that. My heart is to see even this group of people right now filled with the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the dream of God. Because I know what happens when that becomes a reality in our hearts. Are you with me? The overflow of that is so powerful. Do you want to stand with me? Let's, let's pray. So I'm, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to supercharge you right now with a fire and a zeal for Him that you can't manufacture in your own strength. Because my desire is that when you walk out of this room, although there's conviction, that you walk out on fire. Are you with me? 
And if you don't want it, then that's okay. You can come back next week. We'll try again. But if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, yes, I want it. I, I don't know how to do it in my own strength, but I want it. I want to run. I want to burn for Jesus. Then he's so faithful to touch you this morning and to set your heart on fire. So will you just lift your hands? Holy Spirit, right now, I just say thank you that on the first Sunday gathering, even though it's a bit raw and we're still finding our feet, God, thank you that this day you've put every single one of us in this room to be challenged, convicted, and set on fire with the gospel so that when we leave this place, we are burning lovers of God, ready to see the dream of God alive on the earth, that God, your dream would be the heartbeat of your bride, that your dream would be the reason we're alive, the reason we wake up, the reason we do what you've called us to do. And right now, even right now, many of you are going to start to feel assignments come alive. Many of you are going to start to burn for different nations and people groups. Many of you are going to have a fresh fire for our city. Many of you are going to begin to feel passion for, if you're in the education um, system, that you're going to feel passion for kids to disciple the next generation. Many of you are going to feel, okay, in my workplace, in my offices, in my business, in the things that I do, there's a, a burning love for people that God's imparting right now. Some of you are going to be set on a whole new trajectory, that God is shifting you into a new place, into a new season. Some of you are going to be marked, even now, if you just allow him, he will mark you with a vision for what he's doing on the earth. You don't need the answers. You don't need the practicals. You need him. You need his zeal. You need his fire. Even I, I feel right now God is giving us as a house a zeal for his house. It's the zeal that consumes him. He's burning for his house. He's burning for his church. He's burning for his bride. God, would you do it in us, I ask this morning. Right now, Holy Spirit. Make us good stewards of earthly things so that we can see heavenly reward. Jesus, that you would get your reward because you've become ours. Nothing else can satisfy. Nothing else can satisfy. I just see, I'm seeing this like prophetic picture of us as a people being set on fire. And, and some of you are right now... You've been placed into corporate environments of high influence. And I just see that God is putting zeal and fire on your life to give you confidence to walk in to your businesses, to walk into the office spaces, to walk into these different spheres in our city and to carry the fire of the gospel to see disciples made. God's called you to make disciples in those spheres of influence. Go get them. Go reach them. Go love them. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask for boldness, an impartation of boldness now in Jesus' name over every single life and heart, that the fear of man would be broken off of us, that we would carry a burning love, a compassion for people that we've never known. I even see for those that are called to make music, the musicians and the singers and psalmists, even now, fresh anointing oil, fresh songs, an impartation of songs and sounds now in Jesus' name. God, I ask that this room would be filled, that hours and hours and hours of incense of worship and prayer would rise from this place. God, that from a, a praying people would come a missional people, that from a presence people would come those saying yes to the Great Commission. Lord, I ask that what you're doing in, in Potchefstroom, what you're doing in Cape Town, what you're doing in Uppington and in Johannesburg and all the other cities, God, thank you. As you're awakening your church to say yes, we say do it here, God. Make Johannesburg a sending city. God, thank you that we have the resources, we have the airport, we have everything we need. Do it, God. 
Make Johannesburg a sending city, we pray, God. Make 24-7 an Antioch-like church, God. And so I speak to this building. I speak to every corner of this place and every room. I speak to it now and I just say, thank you, God, for the inheritance that you will have through this place, God. That this building will steward a, a great yes from us as a people to the Great Commission and to seeing our city reached. Lord, I know you are so faithful to touch every person in this room. And so I speak to your spirit man right now in this room, and I say, brace yourself and get ready for wild encounters. I release the lover of the night, the one who moves in visions and dreams. I release him. I thank you, God. It's your joy to crash in on our night hours. It's your joy. I release the poets and the writers and the creatives. I release you to be wild for Jesus. I release the dancers this morning. Now that we have space, God, move on the dancers that there would be a movement and expression from this house. I, I thank you for such wisdom on the strategists, God. Those that will carry solutions. Solutions to reach more people. Solutions to open up whole new spheres within their companies, within their workspaces. God's going to give you keys to people's hearts. Some of you, even your own bosses, the ones that have been really difficult. God's giving you keys. He's called you to carry keys to unlock whole areas of life to reach more people. Lastly, Holy Spirit, I ask for a burning passion for lost souls, God. There's so many sons and daughters that you're calling home. And you've called us to be your hands and feet. Give us your heart, Holy Spirit. Give us your heart, Holy Spirit. Give us your heart, Holy Spirit. We were not made for boring, mundane normal life. You are not normal. I break that off every person in this room. You are not normal. You are supernatural. You are born to be wild for Jesus. You're born to burn for Him. So we say yes. We say yes to you, Lord. Father, thank you for your hand on 24-7. Thank you for what you've done this morning. Lord, if I've said anything this morning that's not in your heart, let it be forgotten. But that which is of you, let it cut to our hearts, God. Let it bring fullness, truth, and freedom. Thank you for what's ahead. Thank you for the dream of God. I bless every family, every person in this room. I bless this house. And as a community and as a family, we bless this venue. We release that right now by faith in Jesus' name. God, thank you that in this center, many people, even they come here to do shopping or go to restaurants, they're going to get saved here, God. They're going to encounter the living God here. And thank you that I'm looking at a whole bunch of fiery evangelists right in front of me. <laughs> Those who are called to just preach the gospel everywhere that we go. Stir us up, Holy Spirit. Make us your church, the one that's built on the revelation of Jesus that you're building. We love you. We bless you. We worship you. And we honor you. Help us, God. Help us, Holy Spirit. <laughs> to be everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, we love you. Thank you for being here, celebrating with us. And I know we're still getting certain things right, but it's such a joy. And uh, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're stirred. There's so much to look forward to. It's going to be a beautiful week.